Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to In the Closet Objectivist. This is one of your hosts, Dr. Megan Rubin, selling it yet again, and uh, missing Corey and Stuart. Um, I apologize again for the wonky time um, I couldn't sleep, so I thought, why not do a podcast? Um, so a little bit of background on today's episode. Um, I had a lovely weekend. I went with my mom to the Fine Art Museum, um, and I found a painting that immediately intrigued me. Um, so um, this is all sort of, I'm, I'm actually working on like a series of podcasts um, in sort of in tangent to what um, a project of Stewart's, um, but it's way out of my depth and it's taking forever, so I thought I would share this painting with you in lieu of that. Um, so what I'm going to do is kind of do a Luke Travers touching the art kind of um, analysis of the painting. Um, I know he's uh, he's an alum of this show, and so he's got a really unique approach. You know, if you're like me, I would go into a museum, I'd look at a painting for about 15 seconds, and then I would immediately look at the plaque next to it to figure out what the heck was going on. And what's cool about um, Luke's approach is that you really become a Sherlock Holmes of art. Um, so, you, so you take in all of the details and try to construct a story around those details. Um, and then, you know, once you've kind of figured out what the specific situation being depicted is and um, try to connect it to other situations and other art that you like, that's when you kind of get the historical context for the artwork. So if I do a bad job, it is not Luke's fault. It is the fault of um, caffeine inopportunely wearing off. <laughs> so and in blog talk, um, there's program notes and there's a slideshow and it's just got one picture. And this is the picture I'm going to describe. So the first thing I notice is the light. There seems to be a spotlight aimed right at the center of the painting, um, something that I imagine was technologically difficult, if not impossible, given the end of the 19th century look of the um, subject's garments. Um, indeed, the light seems to be emanating from her clothes loins. Um, I don't know if this is meant to indicate her virginity or her faithfulness. It was just a, it's, it's very obvious and um, a, a, a very distinctive choice for the artist. So I, that's kind of what stood out to me from the beginning. The subject is a young woman who seems to be leaning against the corner of a wall um, where there's a ledge at shoulder height on the ledge um, is a large round clay pot and tangential to the, the pot's foot lie two white roses. There's another rose under the woman's foot um, and the soft white petals of the three flowers echo the silken drapery of her simple white gown. The effect of the continuity between the flowers and the dress gives the whole work this feeling of simple, delicate purity, as if the moment is reverential, that there are roses under the feet of the woman and the pot makes 
the pot seem like it's the other character in this story, the, the mirror of the young woman. Indeed, at shoulder height, the woman occupies the left half of the canvas and the pot occupies the equivalent space on the right half of the canvas, um, sort of further enforcing that idea that, that these two are, are equal. They're both characters in this story. The young woman caresses the pot with both hands. Her left hand is cupping the lip. The right hand traces the underside of the bulge with her index finger. Her face is so close to the pot that it looks like the tip of her nose and her parted lips barely brush the clay surface. Her eyes are closed as if in a romantic kiss. The way the light highlights the underside of her jaw reminds me very much of Rodin's kiss. Um, in which a, a Guinevere-like woman succumbs completely to her forbidden passion to a Lancelot-like character, while he attempts to restrain himself. And I can see the parallels here. While the woman in the painting's kiss, you know, isn't, her kiss isn't violent, it is imbued with this irrepressible longing she knows this inanimate object can't return the kiss, yet this knowledge can't still the caress of her hands and lips. So, you know, now that I've got you in suspense, the painting is titled Isabella and the Pot of Basil. And it was inspired by a poem by John Keats. In the poem, Isabella is a noble woman who falls in love with um, one of the employees of her family's estate, Lorenz, and he um, and he falls in love with her. Um, Isabella's brothers want her to marry a nobleman, so they think the well-adjusted thing to do is to kill Lorenzo and bury him in the woods. Um, but when Isabella discovers this, she takes Lorenzo's remains and places them in a pot where she grows basil, which is a symbol of eternal love and, incidentally, um, depending on the, the variety of basil, it has white flowers. Um, so now what I'm going to do is really kind of a stretch for me. Um, Lisa Van Dam, I know I've mentioned her before, she, she taught falling in love with poetry class at OCOM this year. She's also got um, a series of lectures from a previous OCOM where she um, describes how how to really connect to poetry in in a way that to me sort of looks similar to um, Luke Travers' approach to touching the art. Um, so what she'll do is she'll translate a poem in plain language and look up words that she thinks she knows but maybe doesn't quite have a handle on. Um, and then once she kind of has the plain language translation, she'll go back and she'll read the poem out loud. The moment the, the, the poem is epitomizing with other similar works of art. So that's what I'm going to attempt here. Um, I am no <laughs> Lisa Van Dam. She does this way better than I do. But um, um, if, if this approach um, speaks to you, I, I highly recommend visiting her, her website falling in love with poetry, among her many other sites, which I've mentioned in other podcasts. 
So I'm just going to pick one stanza from John Keats's poem, Isabella, or The Pot of Basil. It's stanza eight. Oh, Isabella, I can half perceive that I may speak my grief into thine ear. So in the first couple of lines, um, Lorenzo is speaking to Isabella and he, he's saying, look, I, I didn't know if, if I should say anything, but I can see that you might be interested. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Um, returning to the poem, if thou didst ever anything believe, believe how I love thee. Believe how near my soul is to its doom. I would not grieve thy hand by unwelcome pressing, nor would fear thine eyes by gazing. But I, oh my goodness, I, <laughs> sorry, um, I haven't copied the whole thing. Um, uh, there's like one line missing. Anyway, so what, um, so I, I had a lot of trouble getting to the exact meaning of these next lines. Um, you know, if if thou didst ever anything believe, believe that I love thee. That's pretty clear. I mean, um, but, you know, so believe how near my soul is to its doom. The poem opens with Lorenzo being a, you know, describing him as a pilgrim, a, a palmer. Um, so someone poor, someone who's sort of seeking, um, I don't know if you'd say redemption, but but speaking, you know, is is, is seeking moral perfection. Um, so to say that my soul is to its doom is to say, look, I'm I'm approaching final judgment here. Um, he isn't talking about God; he's talking about her. Um, and and indeed, Lisa talks about um, moments in in literature where something is higher than God, right? Like this is, so in The Miracle Worker, um, Helen Keller's parents say, look, maybe Helen just, maybe God did not mean for her to speak. And Helen Keller's um, teacher, Annie Sullivan says, I mean for her to speak. Um, Wow, that's powerful. Um, So, you know, the line, I, I would not grieve thy hand by unwelcome pressing. What, what I think what's being said there is that, you know, I, you know, Lorenzo is saying, I won't, you know, I won't touch you lest it be unwelcome. Um, I won't even look at you if, um, if that's not what you want, but I cannot keep from speaking. And give me just a moment here. Um, I will try to find that last line so I don't butcher, you know, this stanza, this really lovely poem. Um, Okay. So now that I've kind of given you the plain language translation of this stanza, let's hear it in its entirety. Oh, Isabella, I can half perceive that I may speak my grief unto thine ear. If thou didst ever anything believe, believe how I love thee, believe how near. My soul is to its doom. I would not grieve thy hand by unwelcome pressing, would not fear thine eyes by gazing. But I cannot live another night and not my passion shrive. Sorry, live and try to <laughs> not rhyming them very well. But 
to strive means to, in this case, to confess. So, you know, again, he's saying, um, look, I won't, I won't touch you. I won't even look at you. Um, but I can't keep silent anymore. And the, that, you know, again, that kind of echoes what we saw in um, the painting where, you know, it's the same as Isabella's feelings, right? It's, you know, obviously this pot can't return her affections, and yet her feelings are so powerful and so overwhelming that she can't keep but caressing just this echo of an echo of her lover, um, so, um, <laughs> this is where I, I have a feeling my, um, instructors might cringe. This reminds me of yet another, um, really beautiful moment, um, in an art, I, an artwork I love. It's my favorite video game, Dragon Age Origins. So just as a little, um, background. The premise of the game is that there are these essentially zombies in every century or so in this world. Um, there's a zombie dragon that comes bursting out of the ground and leading these plague zombies on a war path through civilization. And you and your companions are the only ones that can stop this terrible um, sentient plague, essentially. Um, in the game, there is the possibility of a romance between you and one of your companions, Alistair. He finds a rose in a village just before this village is about to be overwhelmed and destroyed by these zombies. And he offers you the rose. And I'm just going to play a little clip um, of how that, how that comes about. I remember thinking, how could something so beautiful exist in a place with so much despair and ugliness? I thought that I might give it to you, actually. In a lot of ways, I think the same thing when I look at you. Oh, <laughs> um, so, you know, thinking about um, the painting and the poem and um, the game, um, it what really ties them all together for me um, is the same thing that I really love about objectivists. Now, I, I don't love all objectivists, and I'm certain that not all of them love me, but um, what I really cherish about the objectivists that I do love is is not the fact that they can see the world for what it is, um, and it is a lot of despair and ugliness, and truthfully, I don't think anyone knows that better than than a well-educated objectivist. That's not what I love about them. What I love is the fact that they are always on the lookout for and find roses in the bleakest, unlikeliest places. What defines them is not the tragedy of their lover being murdered by the people closest to them, but valuing something so deeply that they can take comfort even in the flower that blooms from the remains of such tragedy. Um, so this episode and 
really every every episode I do is dedicated to them. Um, so with that, I think I'll close out the episode. Um, if you go to Blog Talk um, Closet Abductivist, um, you can find links in the program notes um, to all the art and um, and my teachers. I I really try to um, represent them well, but honestly, no one can do it better than they can. So check them out. Um, of course, you can always find us on Block Talk Radio, um, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes. Um, we have a Facebook group. Um, and of course, check out Patreon. Um, you know, throw, throw a couple bucks Corey's way. He completely deserves it. And you know, anything that accelerates him getting better and and um, getting back on the show with me, I think everyone can agree is is for the good. So um, with that, I'll um, wish you all um, a lovely evening. Thank you as always for listening and cheers to reason.